I'm Dracula. Well, I'm also Dracula. <laughs> and I'm Frankenstein. Jesus Christ. Well, God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> All right, that works. <laughs> Frank, it's such a spooky night, and this laptop is so heavy because you're Skyping in. What are your thoughts on that? My thoughts on that is, well, like, I'm, I'm kind of non-corporeal in, in your sense, so I'm not that heavy. Well, and also, laptops weigh, like, less than a pound. I'm a very weak person. <laughs> Have you thought about getting in more reps at the gym? I don't go to the gym. I, um, I keep planning to. Um, but then I, my shame uh, keeps me away. Very similar. Like, like, do I want to pay twenty dollars a month to just be ashamed in front of people who look better than me? I, I don't think so. I mean, that's the thing. You pay the twenty dollars, and then you feel good about yourself, and then you don't have to go. It's that's, that's just addiction. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, man, this is so heavy. We're going to be recording the podcast, but Tom's being very weird today. Very spooky. Tom's basement's really dark. It's really dark. We have to record in in this basement. But you know what's spooky about Tom's basement? What's that? Is that on top of it is a Comet's ping pong pizza, and in the basement, you might say that there's a PizzaGate brewing. It's it's a child sex trafficking conspiracy. Jesus Christ, Frank. <laughs> Tom Were you asleep for Pizzagate? What? Were you asleep for Pizzagate? The only gate I like is Gates McFadden of Star Trek the Next Generation. She, she was pretty great. She was is you know she dead? You know that's a wing? A wig? What? You know that's a wig? What's a wig? Her, her hair on that show is a wig. It's a wig. Oh, there's one yeah. episode where it's super long. It's yeah, weird. It's yeah. distracting. Anyway, Tom, Tom, don't spook us out like this so much. It's so scary down here. Oh, hey, guys. Ah, ah, oh, my hey, God. How's it going? <laughs> oh, yeah. Come on now, guys. Come on. No, come on. What is, uh, follow me. Are you doing pizza gate stuff down here, Tom? What? What are you talking are you about? No, I don't, I don't eat pizza. <clears throat> I just eat like protein powders and stuff. Yeah, no, I wanted to show off my new uh, home gym that I've been uh, building down here. <laughs> I'm a little out. I'm sorry. I was, I was blasting my quads. I'm a little out of breath. Dom, that doesn't look like a gym at all. What are you talking about? It's just like uh, some weights and a treadmill. That doesn't look like a weighted or treadmill at all. It looks like a spooky cauldron. Oh uh, yeah, no, that's just that's just like my my whey protein, you know. Like that's I know it looks a little spooky, I know, but like I just had like a little like whey protein, a little bit like flaxseed for my mega sixes. That's not whey protein. That says I of Newt. What kind of bullshit is this? All right, so like you know, if like I'm trying to like look really aesthetic, I'm trying to look really like like vascular with my my like ripped bod. So like a little eye of newt, like come on, like stop being a baby, Justin. All the pros use eye of newt to get like maximum aesthetic. Watch me, watch me, ready? This is I don't like this. I'm gonna turn the computer to look at you so Frank can see. Oh no! Don't show Frank. Uh, he might get jealous of these super ripped uh, lats. Tom, Tom, you look really vascular. Have you been taking uh, like HGH? It does H- HGH stand for Eye of Newt? Stands for Human Growth Hormone. <laughs> no, this Bye. scene will work. <laughs> You're all bastards. Spooky Halloween, everybody! It's our special Halloween episode. This episode, this, this is not going how I was hoping. <laughs> I wanted this to be a fun Halloween spooktacular. <laughs> my my goal, my secondary goal of this podcast <laughs> is to at least once an episode crush Justin's dreams in some fashion. They were, and I feel like I was slacking in the last couple. 
you fuck you guys. <laughs> oh, wait till we get to Christmas and I outline with you all the things that are weird about Santa Claus. No, 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 not listening. <laughs> It's Halloween time. It's spooky, scary. It's chilly out. We got pumpkins. It's nice and fun, but also dark and brooding like a beautiful man. How do we feel about Halloween, fellas? I, I have, a, I have a, a long, vast history with Halloween that um, when I was young, I used to be obsessed and I would go onto websites year round. And like everybody at school always knew me. I was like, that's the Halloween kid. <laughs> um, and then, okay. And, and then when Halloween came around one year, everybody was like, they were really happy for me because it was like my time. And we had to dress up for school for a little, little kid Halloween parade. And I showed up dressed as Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake. So this goes back far. I'm a very weird man. And apparently a weird little kid, too. Probably weirder than because I was a little fat, round ball of a boy. I had the normal stuff. Uh, dress up. Uh, I drew some adorable pictures of me. Uh, dressed up as Sonic the Hedgehog. My uh, my sister was uh, Tails the Fox. Uh, when costumes my grandma made us when we were uh, like five and seven years old. It's pretty adorbs. And then I got older and... Uh, Started uh, mischief night was a big thing for for me in my neighborhood growing up. Uh, I used to hear about the exploits of the older kids and like my older brother. Uh, and then uh, really right around the time Halloween should be phased out for me, right around I was getting too old for Halloween, is really when Halloween kind of died in my neighborhood. Mm. And I, I remember I did the last. I think I did the last mischief nice stuff that ever happened in my neighborhood. And like I didn't, I wasn't even that like bold with it. I just kind of like put like a little bit of toilet paper in the tree of like my friend's house, <laughs> and then like a car drove by and caught me. And the guy just yelled out the window, and I was just like, "All right, <laughs> all right, this is over." Okay. Uh, right. And then ever since then, there's been like zero trick or treaters. And I thought this was like a national phenomenon. I thought that like Halloween was just dying. The post 9-11 fear mongering had worked and everybody was keeping their kids in. And then one year it's Halloween night and I need to go somewhere and do something. And I'm driving my car and I turn into a neighborhood in a neighboring town and fucking Halloween bomb exploded. Everybody. <laughs> Uh, foreshadowing uh, Halloween uh, stuff everywhere uh, kids out in the street decorations and Halloween is alive and well and it just died in my bodunk piece of shit neighborhood and now it's just it's just disappointment city USA that's the thing Halloween, go Frank Halloween finds a way um the, it, that that's probably a trackable trend like as soon as older families move out of a particular neighborhood if newer families move in Halloween just comes back because they have kids. Mm -hmm. um, but Halloween for me is, you know, similar to Tom. After a certain point in my life, Halloween just died. Um, I distinctly remember the last time I ever went out trick-or-treating. I was maybe 10 or maybe 11. Um, and I dressed up as the Japanese professional wrestler Hayabusa. Uh, <laughs> which, do you, do you want me to show you what Hayabusa looked like? <laughs> Go for it. Go. Uh, yeah. Go so I dressed up as Japanese professional wrestler Hayabusa for trick or treating. And now Halloween for me is really just uh, a time for me to, you know, watch spooky, scary movie, mm -mm. Uh, drink some pumpkin beer, get some leftover candy up in my face. Mm. Um, and uh, actually, the, the first time I had been to a Halloween party in a long time was last year, was the first time in like maybe 10 years up to that point. Uh, and I had like literally hadn't dressed up for a Halloween thing since then, because if I went to the odd Halloween party, it was like the grown up Halloween party where no one dressed up. Mm, um, fuck that noise. It, yeah. It was just one of those things where, uh, but, 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 but yeah, I, Halloween kind of phased out and, uh, all it means to me now is I get to chill out and the weather gets nice and crisp and cool and comfortable. And, uh, it's a fun time. Real quick, your favorite Halloween costume that you've done. Mm. 
My favorite was probably uh, last year's, ironically enough, when I dressed up as uh, Guy Fieri. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, uh, isn't it also true that this was part of a couple's costume? This where, was a couple's costume. Where your uh, wonderful uh, uh, girlfriend partner, I was going to call her partner, but it's kind of important for why this is funny, was yeah. also Guy Fieri. <laughs> <laughs> so that was originally going to be the plan. Oh. That was supposed to be what was going to happen. And that's Hayabusa, by the way. That's who I just thought. <laughs> <Nice>. Jesus. <laughs> Were you as shirtless as this man is? Unfortunately not. I was like uh-huh. a little like 10 or 11 year old fat kid. So I couldn't do that. So I had a shirt on. Uh, but uh, I, I did dress up as him. Was it like- I bought a white version of that mask. Was it like a Who Farted t-shirt? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> no. I think it was... It was some kind of t-shirt, but it, it was like a plain t-shirt. I think I wore like a red t-shirt or something. Um, but so originally the plan was last year for both of us to go as Guy Fieri because she uh, roundly rejected my initial idea of a couple Star Trek costume. <laughs> and did the same thing this year. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> <laughs> I was, let, let me tell you this, fellas. Uh, guess who I was ready to order a costume for? Oh, uh, I was ready to order uh, Chief Engineer Miles O'Brien. Oh, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> and go as Miles O'Brien. And she rightfully said, fuck no. <laughs> she didn't want to be a Japanese woman? No, she didn't want to be Keiko, his Japanese <laughs> wife. Um, we should she, specify that Frank's girlfriend is not Japanese. <laughs> she's not. She's a white lady. Um, and uh, so last year when I went to Sky Fieri, she went as a waitress, like an old timey fifties waitress. Okay, right. that, that follows. That works. I like it. I mean, it's a total cop out compared to both of you it being is. Guy Fieri, yeah. but it works. <laughs> Uh, so well, I think it also should be noted for the listener that we're all dressed up as uh, Chief Engineer O'Brien right now. <laughs> we all kind of are, yeah. Just, just so you know, um, I one year when I had nothing to do. This might be apocryphal because I would tell everybody this, but I'm not. I'm not sure if I actually did it, but I think I did. That's a distinctly you problem. It is. I lie a lot. I um. Just stay, I just stayed home dressed like meatloaf. <laughs> Wait, is you dressed like? Is that just you? <laughs> I did used to wear a lot more billowy blouses. <laughs> How about sleeveless leather vests? Oh no, no, that's too risky for me. No, no, I stick to the bad out of hell era. Um, I'm a joke sex symbol. <laughs> I'm yeah, sure. that's a weird one because you'll sometimes you'll hear that of like, oh yeah, meatloaf, like the soundtrack to like burgeoning sexuality, and it's like, was it? <laughs> yeah, I to a certain type of person to theater kids, mm. um, and they are a horny lot. <laughs> they are a horny lot. Can't um, confirm. <laughs> How about you, Tom? Uh, well, I discovered myself to uh, I'll do anything <laughs> for love. Probably my last halloween costume which was uh i had just watched the movie eyes wide shut at like three in the morning and i decided at that moment to start making a paper mache mask of myself oh, okay. oh yeah i remember this <laughs> and then uh over a few weeks i built it up and made it more and more accurate to my own face and then when it had the shape i carefully painted it to, to look uh, flush tone based on myself stood there in the mirror until I had a mask of my own face. <laughs> now I had no idea why I was doing this. It was just, I had too much time on my hands. And then uh, I decided, you know, oh, that's really creepy. It was kind of like uncanny. And then I had this brainwave. What if I put it on the back of my head and then wore all my clothes backwards <laughs> <laughs> and I put on like a hoodie. So my face was covered and I did that. And it was incredibly creepy. Now, it, there are pictures. The pictures uh, are unsettling, but it's uh, if there's any video in motion, it was deeply disconcerting. Uh, uh, but one last pro tip to you all, and I'm sure as the, the two gentlemen from the band Crisscross can tell you, that when you wear your pants backwards, it's really hard to pee in a hurry. <laughs> yeah, and you got to jump, jump. 
you, you got to jump, jump to pull your pants down because you can't undo a fucking belt backwards. Fuck that shit. No, so you just got to yank those johns. You just got to pull it down and pee in the toilet. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, Justin, did we do your Halloween segment justice? Yeah, it's fine. It, it worked. <laughs> so, hey, you know what? Hollow. You know what Halloween makes me think of? What's that? Serial mail bombing. It's no. the week oh, no. of the. <laughs> no. let's, let's take that again. No, let's <laughs> no, not I like do that. that. All right, everybody. It's time for the next segment. We're gonna get through it quick. It's a depressing time, and I it's don't want it one. ruining this. Halloween spooktacular anymore. <laughs> Are we calling it the spooktacular? It's a Halloween spooktacular. He said, hoisting his fist into the air I'm in wearing, triumph. I'm wearing a jack-o'-lantern on my head, and there's a sp- a smiling ghoul right behind you while you're listening. Ah! <laughs> uh, so, yeah, th- this week was a weird one for politics it, and it's not fun to talk about it's not so we're gonna try to not talk about, about it so much what is not funny Jesus. and fun and light and lively about a domestic terrorist uh, mailing pipe bombs to various democratic figures and load it with typos in the address and return address what's not a hoot about this guys there is one funny thing about it um and that is inside at least one of the uh devices there was uh, a piece of material that was made to look like the ISIS flag, but instead of the ISIS flag, it was um, mud flap sexy ladies, and below that, in sort of faux Arabic writing, was the words get her done. Which just kind of hardens my uh, resolve in the theory that this was done by uh, one very stupid man. Yeah, oh, no, no, no. This is clearly the product of a chud, of, like, a maggot chud who um, watches nothing but InfoWars and Fox News and, you know, went to Pizzagate rallies and and believes in QAnon and because this person or persons unknown targeted specifically people that the president has had words about in the past. Here's the thing. Things like this have happened in the past. Right? Yeah. But we have a president who fucking condones it. Mm-hmm. Like, <clears throat> uh, this is not normal. This is not... <laughs> even even the abnormal things that are happening during this presidency are abnormal. Yeah, they're way more fucked up than abnormal used to be. Mm-hmm. And and we have we have this this uh, president who uh, consistently is revealing himself to be a white supremacist, uh, nationalist, uh, uh, racist, fascist. Um, uh, he is consistently uh, uh, creating uh, uh, scapegoats. Uh, and and uh, targeting various groups, he is uh, doing this on purpose. He is doing this um, uh, to create an enemy. He has done this with Mexico. Uh, he has he's uh, continually doing this to the trans community. He um, uh, is uh, doing this to what's what's the other one? What's a what's another one? Cut this. Make me sound smart, oh. Tom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the other one is all of it. Uh, uh, but, you know, boys, it turns out the spookiest thing of Halloween of all is the rising tide of fascism. <laughs> 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 uh, 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 uh. Yeah, no, uh, that's that's one thing. I mean, uh, maybe this bombing situation is a little bit of a fly in the ointment, but... Uh, for the Republicans, because uh, kind of eerily, they've been trotting out this narrative, almost like it's been coordinated, uh, that the left is uh, a violent mob, and they keep using that word. They keep hammering that word and saying that we're extremist and violent. And I think they're laying the groundwork for when they finally push too hard, and there is a little bit of unruly backlash from people I won't even say on the left, regular people, freedom-loving people, the free people of the world, 
Uh, and uh, that will be their pretext with the already established narrative of, of a violent mob for, quote, emergency measures. Uh, suspensions of certain civil liberties. I, 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 gen- I, I have always thought so. I was saying it to folks before the election. I believe that this political moment uh, signifies a cor- coordinated and premeditated conspiracy uh, of a fascist coup by the Repu- elements of the Republican Party in the United States. And I don't think that this is an elaborate uh, narrative or fiction. Uh, I, I, um, yeah, the, the Republican, uh, campaign slogan going into the midterm is literally jobs, not mobs, which I, I mean, reality means nothing to them anymore. By the way, uh, sort of the consistent, uh, firing off of mistruths is, uh, it's called fire hosing. It's a documented tactic that, uh, was being deployed brilliantly to brilliant effect rather by uh the the, the putinist uh, regime uh and uh, now we're seeing it in this country it can happen here it is happening here and uh yeah uh the big question is what happens after the election but let's save that for next week next week shit the show. all bummer episode of Oh <laughs> <laughs> That's the soundboard for that episode. This is all too depressing. You know what, fellas? Plaid lads, let's go to the movies. A spooky movie. Spooky times. Uh, so this week on the pod, the movie we're doing is a movie called Hoxon, a silent Swedish documentary horror movie from 1922 by a filmmaker named Benjamin Christensen. And uh, just speaking for myself, it was one of the most remarkable things I think I've ever seen because I had never seen this movie before. And this was the first, this is a, the first movie we've done for the show that I haven't seen before Mm -hmm. and B the first movie we've done that I've never heard of before. And I'm amazed that I never heard of it. Um, but I also had the experience because this film is in the public domain. So it's, it's available for anyone to watch on YouTube, uh, through library services on their service called canopy. It's available. Um, but I, I had the experience of watching it on a computer screen streamed through YouTube, and I thought to myself, I should be seeing this on the screen because this is a remarkable piece of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was just stunned by everything that was being accomplished there. Uh, it is a sort of pseudo-documentary about the nature of superstition and belief in the world uh chiefly concerned with uh belief in witchcraft during the middle ages Mm -hmm. and he sort of threads the needle on belief in witchcraft and how it was connect uh connected to uh modern then modern experiences of uh mental health in women uh, long before that uh uh, similar feminist texts had sort of Mm -hmm. taken that tack as well there was this weird Swedish dude who was sort of making the argument in a very popular and controversial film uh, because amazing. the film told in many parts. Uh, the first part sort of charts the nature of witchcraft and belief in ancient in the ancient world. Uh, and that was in that early going uh, when I w- is when I was first stunned by this movie because there's a sequence. And I don't know if you guys were as impressed with this as I was when he discusses the medieval belief of the nature of the cosmos. Yes. And he's illustrating on the screen sort of a circle of fire and an inner circle of air. And then it's clear that it's like a piece of of paper of some kind, but it's a physical object that he's manipulating with a pencil. And then he talks about the constellations and suddenly Mm -hmm. the constellations appear behind it. And then the planets, and then the planets uh, appear behind it. And then he talks about the ancient belief in outside of the planets and the constellation. They believe that on top rested the heavenly host and God. Mm -hmm. And he sort of splices in this footage of what looked like dozens to maybe about a hundred people dressed as angels and then a man dressed as, as God sort of seated at the center. And at first it almost looks like a painting. And then you notice very subtly and very slowly that people are moving in the painting. 
and that these are actors dressed up as the heavenly host and dressed up as God. And I it's just such a painterly that. image. Mm-hmm. I didn't notice that at all. I thought, I thought it was a painting. I've, yeah, I, no, those were all actors. Interesting. So, uh, like you, Frank, uh, I, I had never heard of this movie either, but that's when I, uh, when I started watching it, I was like, Oh wait, no, of course I haven't heard of it. It's a silent movie. <laughs> and, uh, Jeez. So I also really enjoyed the early discussion of the cosmology. Uh, it, <laughs> this is totally anachronistic and bullshit, but it was almost like uh, vaguely Wes Andersony <laughs> with the establishing sort of building of a field of knowledge was kind of. Yeah. I would not be surprised if he took some sort of cue yeah, from that. Took something from this, yeah. Uh, and uh, really, I mean, I'm not sure if they award it performances, but I think the real star of this movie was whoever was working that wooden pointer thingy. Whoever was just literally pointing at stuff with that yeah. pencil. <laughs> uh, I, I believe it was the director who... Uh, he also plays the devil in this movie. Anytime mm-hmm. the devil is on screen, that's Man. the director. <laughs> 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 Oh, that's 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 great to know. That's great yeah. to know. Now, um, continuing with that, he he shows us um a like a mechanical representation of hell, and there's there's Ooh. there's a f- fog machine going, um, and it's it's uh, it's spooky. It's scary, um, but then we we get into it. And this is a good, like, 10, 15 minutes. Oh, it took a long time, yeah. I was kind of wondering what the heck was happening. Until we get to the next uh, segment where it's finally uh, actual scenes with actors. Um, And it's just showing a uh, basic representation of the medieval belief in witches. Mm. Um, Which is some of my uh, uh. <laughs> it is so when, when it's in this segment where it shows the, the belief in witches it also shows how those beliefs are sort of formulated by people during the time period and there is a sequence where it illustrates kind of what would happen if you were thought to be in consort like what what that pact would be like between witches and uh essentially the devil and there's this sort of old, decrepit witch lady, and she's dreaming, and the dream world sort of intersects with hell. Uh, and there's, in this sequence, some of the most stunning stop motion I think I've ever seen, which is probably another reason why Wes Anderson has seen this movie, is there's excellent stop motion mm-hmm. in it. Uh, particularly the scene where the coins oh, yeah. sort of form into shapes and fractals and, like, move into a pile and, and like dance in the air and that kind of a thing. And then there's like a little stop motion, little monster man that (laughs) rips through the door. And I thought that was amazing. Um, yeah, the, uh, the bell rock or the, uh, Oh, what, what's the, uh, what's the thing called in uh Jedi, the thing in the basement? Rancor. (laughs) Oh, the, um, crap. I knew this. It's called a rancor. Well, anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah. but that, that's the thing about this era of filmmaking, which we've, we've definitely lost something. I blame the, those New York bastards from the seventies that, um, you know, I'm scowling to Justin can't see them. I'm Frank, scowling. Dis- Frank disapproves. So basically you blame every other filmmaker we've talked about on the, sh- the, the podcast I up tru- till this moment. I, I truly do. Anyway, uh, Hoxon also near the end uh sort of talks about what you would do if you were accused of being a witch and how witch trials functioned uh usually through torture and then death and then it sort of goes to modern day where it talks about treatment for women with uh what would be understood as like hysteria or anxiety um and posits that those treatment programs that were being enacted at the time and quite frankly that are still probably being enacted today are not that far off from just burning women at the stake. First of all, this movie is really weird because uh, I'm, it's so old, and uh, I, I feel like you, one of you can correct me in saying this, but it's almost like they didn't know how to make narrative films yet. So this one was, first of all, the, the, the director, through his text cards, is, is breaking the fourth wall, never even establishes a fourth wall. Which I, I love so much. I... There need to be more movies like that. This this yeah. movie reminded me of of two films. One, uh, 
my favorite horror film of the past like five years, The Witch, which is a very similarly just a straight retelling of what people believed at the time, which I think that is the uh, the uh, most beautiful and simple way to make a great story. Just what is the the truth in there, you know, of belief? The other movie this reminded me of was um, uh, American Splendor, the Paul Giamatti oh, uh, okay. uh, pseudo documentary film about Harvey Picar, the uh, the comic uh, uh, writer, mm. which which that also will break the fourth wall and will. Uh, just insert uh, anecdotes. The real man will be there. In this film, uh, he throws in, they show off all of the different torture devices that would yeah. have been used and explain how they worked. And then he says, one of my actresses wanted to try out the, the thumb, uh, thumb screws. The thumb screws. And so there's a shot of her, and it's very, um, uh, it's, it's very odd seeing like this, like, uh, especially old timey things of seeing an actual smiling person. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? And she's, she's having fun with it. This, uh, this film has the single most erotic shot I've ever seen in any film ever. Now it is showing the devil. the devil opens the door and he's barrel chested and he oh, no. knocks, knocks, knocks. And there's a woman in bed with her husband and she's asleep. And then there's just a close up of her face and just, um, let's see if we can get my um, wet mouth noises. Just a. <laughs> yeah, 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 I know what you're talking about. Just a quick lick of her lips. And I was scandalized. Now, in this film, we see. You literal, were also turned on. I mean, a little. It's, it's impossible not to. But there are literal, like, orgy scenes and stuff in this. Well, there are naked women in this no, film. No, no, we're not no. seeing nipples or, uh, or anything. It was close enough. You, you, it, there is full body uncovered nudity in this film, mm -hmm. and you're not seeing it frontally. But it was scandalous enough that this movie was banned in the United States for a very long time. I understand it. Of I think it still should it was. be. <laughs> of course it was. Now I was going to say that this movie had some excellent back. This had some of the best back I've ever seen in a film. Some of the, the most tasteful erotic back. Anyway, mm -hmm. uh, so that was one thing about this movie. I I was sitting there thinking, watching it, was that this movie could only be Swedish at that point in time because the way it talks about the level of religious repression and belief and superstitious nonsense and sort of. Uh, uh, the calling out of religious superstition as uh, a, a destructive cancer that's totally ridiculous. Uh, America in 1922 was very much embroiled in that kind of l lunatic thinking, and I, I don't think this movie uh, would would be, you know be allowed in the United States. I think there's areas where it still probably would be. Uh, oh God, no, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, this is I a scathing critique of of uh, the patriarchy <laughs> yep. and re and patriarchal religious structures. Mm -hmm. Oh my um, god! Did I hate the fucking monks? The fucking the fat monk. Oh. The fat monk is the best. All the all the fat monks. All the, all the monks were fat except for the skinny one, the little bastard yeah. who gets a boner and he gets, gets tortured. He does well. He he wants more torture. He's he's a, he's a yeah. masochist. Uh, yeah. Now, and you said, as uh, Tom said, that it was like non-narrative, but there is a long segment uh, that actually takes place over a few of the segments in the film. Yeah. Now, I'm not sure that was a technical consideration, but they kept saying to be continued. Yeah. Right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I assume that those were points for brief intermissions at the time. Well, I mean, it was a lot of people smoked a lot more. Maybe <laughs> I think they were boner breaks. Yes. <laughs> but there is a narrative, uh, in that a man is suddenly ill and uh, a, a household blames a poor old woman. She is tortured. Um, uh, and she confesses and we see this, uh, amazing sequence of a witch's Sabbath. Uh, including uh, uh, devil butt kissing. <laughs> this, so that's Ooh. what I thought you were going to say was the most erotic thing in the movie 
is they talk about how when you do a witch's Sabbath, they would all line up to kiss the devil's behind. Mm -hmm. And they use the word behind. And there is an out and out medieval drawing of these witch ladies Mm -hmm. giving the devil a rim job and (laughs) just like face deep in it. And it is hilarious. And it made me laugh very hard. We were talking about how uh, Wes Anderson may have been influenced by this, but this film has some of the most disturbing imagery I have seen in film and I could not help but think of David Lynch. Yeah, this is probably, this was a movie that was a favorite of the emerging surrealists of the, the early to mid 20th century in America. Um, and he was probably in that crowd Mm -hmm. because there is, there is a cut of this movie that was released in 1968 called the history of witches that cuts it down from like an, uh, hour and 45 minutes to about 68 minutes. Uh, and it has a jazz soundtrack and is narrated by William S. Burroughs. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's most likely the version he would have seen. Uh, but I'm, I'm, almost certain that he saw this movie at some point in his life. Now, now the, there was a moment that truly shocked my senses. I don't know if you guys experienced this as well. So the movie uh, ends and it's asking questions about how are we really treating people any differently? And it ends with a shot of, of uh, witches being burned at the stake. Yes. And then the final title card, says it's slut (laughs) (laughs) what what (laughs) it just means the end in swedish i don't think so frank (laughs) it just means the end in swedish oh lord uh yeah i I read it as slut (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah the original slut shaming (laughs) a kind of Kinda. I kind mean, of, uh, we talked. Of, about, yeah, we yeah. talked about this in Black Narcissus, and this movie also had a scene of uh, 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 convent hysteria. Uh, uh, but yeah, this this whole thing seemed to be a sort of. Uh, our, I mean, it was from 1922, so it wasn't a super woke, modern, feminist kind of uh, interpolation of what was happening in the minds of women. And it's sort of like condescendingly condescendingly patronizing uh, uh, sympathy for the now hysterical woman. Hysterical, obviously... Uh, hysterectomy it just means a, a, a brain sickness of the womb you've gone womb crazy so it's it's not like the you know least misogynist thing to uh, say a woman has um, but one thing I thought the movie did and I think this would have had a lot more weight in its contemporary time was that it was this unspoken thing in the film. This movie came out in the interwar period in Europe, 1922 between the world wars. And, uh, it sort of showed shocking terror and, and, and gore and depravity, uh, and sort of showed a deep condemnation of, of deeply encrusted institutions in European life, both in the past, very irreverent, irreverently against religion and the state. And then modernly with, with science and medicine. Uh, and then, uh, it referenced, it showed the, the modern hysterical woman had, had developed kleptomania and she stole a ring from a jeweler and then she broke down in tears and sort of explained her plight and finally referenced something th- that I thought was in the background, which was uh, there was the image of the devil and the diabolical and then she referenced, she referenced the war and how her husband had died in the war and how she hadn't been the same since. Uh, and I think maybe that sort of this ultimate level of destruction is being equated the devil uh with humans de- man institutional depravity to to each other and i i think this movie was in dialogue with the terror that humanity uh, as a species encountered in the first world war uh, at new uh, unprecedented levels and i think that was something maybe it was struggling with and it was kind of like an aha when she finally brought up the war there yep Yep, says this observer. No, that's that's actually um, yeah a really smart observation because I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> go uh, go on. <laughs> that's I had not thought of that. This was one of those movies where I uh, I really hope to one day see it on a really big screen at like a uh, repertory theater or something because it's uh, it's a stunner, folks. See it at least once in your life. Frank? 
Plaid, Shut the fuck up, Frank! Plaid, lads, like, music! This week we listen to the 1979 uh, Junior, is it not sophomore, it's Junior, uh, record by Talking Heads, the second collaboration with Brian Eno. This album came hot on the heels of 1978's more songs about buildings and food. And like I said, it was the second collaboration with Brian Eno. I keep wanting to say Brian Wilson for some reason. Anyway, uh, that, that would, would be been a, a really <laughs> interesting record. <laughs> Guys, the clock has not run out on that. I believe all the relevant, that could still happen. All the relevant Let's parties are still together. with us. It, it, Brian Wilson just, would just make them record Smile again. <laughs> yeah, you just keep redoing smile. It would just be an um, endless cycle of of David Byrne going, ah, and then Brian Wilson being frightened by the startled and going, ah. <laughs> Brian Wilson doing his spooky hand thing. <laughs> Brian, Brian Wilson doing his spooky routine of being a schizophrenic man. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah god anyway so uh this record uh this is back when they made records real quick and talking heads uh tried to go into the studio and tried to just repeat the process but they were feeling a little uninspired and things weren't turning out right so producer brian eno uh had the band retire to the apartment of bassist tina weymouth uh, they hired one of those uh, event soundboard trucks that they would use at like Woodstock or what have you, and it parked outside, and they actually ran the wires out of the window of her apartment down to the van, and uh, Brian Eno sort of tasked them with the uh, writing prompt of various dystopic uh, things. So uh, obviously this record has the, the biggest hit that we all know from it is Life During Wartime, which sort of tells the point of view story of uh, urban gorillas and their lives. Yes, urban gorillas. So my, my question, I, I re-listened to this album and I loved it again. Like I love almost all talking heads. Uh, my question I always have for myself is why do I like this so much more than literally anything Paul Simon has ever recorded. <laughs> is it just that talking heads are great and Paul Simon is bad? Uh, Paul Simon is great. You're an idiot. Burn in hell. <laughs> uh, but I have an, in- an interest. Uh, years ago, my brother came up to me and said, Justin, he put his uh, hand on my head. Um, uh, I was 20 at the time. So it was, but you were a little baby. Boy. I was a little baby boy. And he said, Justin, I need you to get into the talking heads for me. <laughs> I looked at him and I thought, I don't understand that, but I do understand it now because the talking heads are the sort of band that I like everything I've heard of them, but I can't get into them. I, I don't, I don't know why that is. Um, but I can't bring myself to feel any ownership over it, even though I literally, I love everything I've heard. Uh, but if you, uh, Ask me what I would prefer to listen to right now. Oh, talking heads, but Paul Simon, you know, mm. I am the opposite. Uh, I, I, you know, uh, uh, the other records that I, I tend to do the spiel about the records when we introduce the segment and uh, every other record I go on Wikipedia and I gather some information. This I'm just spouting off because I am a talking heads uh, fanboy. I collect their records on every medium I can. I love learning about them. Uh, yeah, I do feel like an ownership over them. I, my only regret in life is that I didn't get into talking heads when I was like a teenager or, mm. or in college or something. I, I found them when I was like 24 and it was like this eureka moment because I've always had this fascination with certain artistic elements. It's really vague and hard to describe. Uh, I, this is an inept description and we use a lot of malapropisms, but there's something, there's an element of David Burns. Uh, uh, artistic abstract detachment uh, looking at modern life that is perhaps reminiscent of Bauhaus, of minimalism, modernism. I don't know. These are inept, like I said, but it is something that speaks to me on a profound level. Uh, And uh, yeah, I fucking, I I love them. Uh, I I love what they do. Uh, Chris France, uh, shout out to uh, Mr. France, uh, four on the floor, everything. Everything's just strimple, strimple, <laughs> straight down the middle. <laughs> Simple, straight down the middle, four on the floor drum beats uh, with maybe a little. James <laughs> Brown! James Brown! <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is correct. Uh, 
so yeah, this this was the last Talking Heads record that, in a lot of ways, you can argue this is the last Talking Heads record because after this, uh, they went into their Brian Eno again. I was going to say Wilson experiment phase where they just played Afrobeat inspired uh, loops that they stitched together, and then uh, Dave Byrne came back and overdubbed vocals. And Adrian Ballou overdubbed guitars. So this was the last one where they went together and they they wrote songs and they tracked them as a band um, in the old fashioned sense. Uh, yeah, no, I, I love this record. Any any favorite songs or moments, fellas? Um, what's Life the, during wartime for sure. Mm-hmm. I, I'm um, a big. Is it called guitar? Uh, electric guitar. Electric guitar. It's a very spooky song. Oh, that's the one thing about Talking Heads is they're perfect for this because they're so spooky, even when they're not trying to be. And I, I also nominate David Byrne for the most uh, uh, scared voice in rock and roll. Whoa! He does have a pretty good scary voice. The dude from Bauhaus also has a, a pretty fantastic scary voice. Um, I would also say big ups to Heaven. Heaven's a great song. Heaven's a great song. Beautiful song. I think um, uh, this reveals something about myself and and maybe my... Uh, distance from talking heads, but my favorite is mind. Uh, mm. be- the second, the second uh, song, uh, because it's the, I, I guess least intellectual, not least intellectual. I like the intellectualness of, of it, but it's the most, uh, uh, interpersonal, you know, it's something I can like, put myself in though that's not what i need to find in uh, in all music but for sure for sure uh the, the mind is uh it's a second person it's it's david byrne uh, addressing some sort of other uh sort of complaining that uh all of all of the elements of human existence can't change this person's mind and he despairs that i need something to change your mind uh science can't change you i can't change you religion can't change you what's the matter with you uh and uh, that's sort of a big trope of uh, early Talking Heads is communication breakdowns and David Byrne not being able to connect with people, uh, which then it's no surprise that I don't think he's ever sought or gotten an official diagnosis, but he regards himself as probably being on the autistic spectrum, uh, which if you watch interviews or, you know, it seems like that might follow. Uh, yes, Justin's doing an impression of his uh, eyes darting around the table uh, tendency, which you can see in John Favreau's uh, 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 was it Dinner for Five? Uh, and this thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yes, yes. The the the. Uh, but also, they're they're very much performance artists. Uh, yeah, mm. I mean they they met at art school at the Rhode Island Institute of Design and uh, RISD. Hmm. RISD. RISD, as it is called on the streets. And uh, yeah, he's very involved in sort of conceptual art. And uh, people don't realize, the, the, you know, especially us looking back through the decades at, at footage from them in that time, but even their, their, their clothes were always a costume. When they started off, you don't think it means anything, but they wore uh, khakis and golf shirts. They were trying to uh, be these preppy or uh, uh, yuppie characters. Uh, later on, they started wearing black jeans, the ultimate post-punk uniform, black jeans and a t-shirt, the most simple, but apparently the black jeans weren't available in the United States, and they were trying to uh, evoke some sort of uh, biker gang thing. Failing at it, I might add. Uh, so I don't know what they were doing for this record, but uh, yeah, they're always uh, very couched in sort of uh, complicated artistic ideas and whether or not they pulled them off. So some of Dave Byrne's weirdness is probably attributable to, to that says this observer i i had this thought this is not about this album but there are um you know if you're a songwriter do one of these and you will be set for life either write a christmas song it will be played every year or write a song about a serial killer in the 70s because it will be played whenever it is talked about in any Mm. form of media yes (laughs) um or write a song about how you're uh, sad about the fact that you got drafted into war because that will be played in every sequence of the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm, exactly. Or write a song about how uh, this is not your beautiful wife and it will be used in every uh, movie. In channel. everything. <laughs> Whereas this record includes songs that talk about <laughs> animals and how uh, they're out to get us, mm-hmm. about air and how it's polluted, uh, about 
paper and uh, how it can cut your fingies uh, about uh, cities and how there are different ones and it's hard, tough to it's choose. Alienating them. and hard to live in them. Uh, one 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 sort of uh, uh, behind the scenes things maybe about this record, and then we can move on. Uh, is uh, if you think that the vocal performance sounds like Brian Eno is chasing David Byrne around the control room with a microphone, trying to get him to sing into it as David Byrne moves around erratically, then you are correct. Uh, that that is how the vocals were attracted. They went not to an isolated sound booth, not where he was wearing headphones, but instead in the control room where uh, Brian Eno in uh, arc Brian Eno fashion encouraged him to just start moving around like the weirdo he is. And uh, Brian Eno's job was to make sure that uh, a microphone was in front of his mouth. And oh boy, I I loves me some talking heads. You know what mm. else I loves? What do plaid lads love? Plaid lads love. Frazier? <laughs> what? Dr. Frazier Crane <laughs> has bought his father a telescope because he wants his father to do some stuff. Martin enjoys the telescope and meets a nice woman also looking at him. But when she calls on the telephone, he says he doesn't, she's not his type. But he, she is his type. He's just afraid because he uses a walker. <laughs> Made me cry. It was beautiful. <laughs> this week on Plaid Lads Love Frasier. It's not dinner at eight. That was last week. It's not I hate Frasier cream. It's Frasier season one. Episode five. Can I talk about how I didn't like this episode? Oh, Oh, you son of a bitch! God damn it, (laughs) (laughs) What don't you like about this? Except for the revolting disgustingness of Frasier (laughs) in this episode. What I don't like about it is it's not funny. And I I didn't buy the the schmaltzy thing at the end. Stupid. Oh, oh I bought Bad. it so hard. I, hard and he opens the door and <gasps> hi, I'm Martin. It's nice to finally meet you. Fuck you, old man. <laughs> five different women over the course of the show. We know that this is not you know the rest of your life, and that you're gonna date some body bartender and a waitress <laughs> and a cop. Like, we know what's going to happen. Yes, but this is the beginning of a beautiful uh, romance of his life. That he's Bloody allowing romance died. back into his life ever since not only his wife died, but also that he doesn't feel like he's a, a full human being. But Daphne makes him know that he's a full human being. It's a beautiful thing, and it made me cry. God! Justin, put your shirt back on. No! <laughs> Uh, you know what, Martin Crane? You're a broken old man, and no one will ever love you. Fred McDevitt hates Martin Crane and John Mahoney. You heard it here first, folks. He's got something against the guy. You he, he opened up the entire podcast showing, uh, uh, thinking about pushing him down a fucking staircase. What did John Mahoney do to you, What did Frank? John Mahoney do to you? I don't know. I mean, I'm not the one who killed him by besmirching Barton Fink. Jesus Christ. Get off my back! <laughs> <laughs> so you know it's just innocent fun fun and games like looking into other people's apartments using a fucking telescope disgusting oh yeah we all have a voyeur in us jesus christ what's fucked up Frazier. is that the episode says she's into it she isn't she's looking right back at them apparently seattle's full of looky loos yeah bunch of weird they do pay lip service to how weird it is when martin says i used to lock guys up for doing this <laughs> and and frazier does have his immediate comeuppance when he realizes he's being watched as well but i don't think he learned any lesson <laughs> uh lasting lesson from it frazier crane doesn't learn any lasting lessons that's the point of the show uh he is a true creep scumball uh he yeah. uh he he's is, not that martin's more of a scumball than he is martin's more of a uh butt chunk guys whoa whoa i thought this was the plaid lads with justin and frank not man about town with Derek Mann, who who hates it was last week's episode who hates fraser crane yeah who hates fraser crane you guys are being 
talking saying bad things about Frazier. Fuck Frazier, I'm done. <laughs> How's it going, fellas? <laughs> uh, uh, to close out, uh, gentlemen, uh, I did not prep this with you beforehand, which was my mistake. Uh, I thought we might introduce a new segment. <laughs> Uh, this seems like the right time. I think we are primed and ready. Let's hear it, Frank. Where we recommend things that we have been watching or Absolutely. reading or listening to this week. Absolutely. Sure. Uh, as the <laughs> lads might remember, before uh, before one of our recordings, I was uh, waxing rhapsodic about a British fantasy show from the 80s that only lasted two seasons called Robin of Sherwood. Mm. Or no, three seasons. Three seasons. Uh, two good seasons, one bad one. Um, it's excellent. Uh, speaking of the uh, high production values and the merger of fantasy and sort of medieval life of Hoxton, Robin of Sherwood does that really well. It sort of merges folklore with a very um, realistic depiction of life during the 12th century, uh, during the reign of King Richard III and then King John I after Richard dies, uh, or Richard I, rather, the, Richard the Lionheart, and then King John I. Uh, and it sort of interweaves the Robin Hood myth with, like, actual uh, medieval life and pagan folklore. Uh, great show. Just stop watching it once Sean Connery's son takes over the role, because he is Fucking terrible. Yeah, fuck that guy. Sean Connery. Sean <laughs> Connery. Um, I, I keeping in the theme. Uh, I I would like to recommend. I I'm I always have one podcast that I'm binging through and getting caught up on. Um, this one's called Teen Creeps. It's a uh, about young adult uh, uh, genre fiction uh, hosted by Lindsay K. Ty. Say it's about Justin. <laughs> Hosted by Lindsay K. Ty and Kelly Nugent. Uh, it's a wonderful podcast. They are uh, two hilarious, wonderful people. They are very open about their struggles with depression, and it's very funny as well. Lindsay K. Ty, uh, excellent follower, uh, excellent follow on Twitter. Her Twitter feed is is very good and nice. interesting and smart and funny. Nice. So I recommend that to everybody. It's great. Uh, okay. Uh, so uh, I, I don't watch a lot of regular TV or listen to many, <clears throat> any uh, podcasts. Uh, but uh, one thing I just started, which is I'm trying to learn French for basically no reason whatsoever. And uh, I decided to find a good French show is really recommend it for, you know, incorporating a language, but uh, a really pleasant surprise. I found it to be a really excellent show and uh, I got hooked after the first episode. Uh, it's on Netflix uh, in English it's called Call My Agent uh, in French it's uh, 10% which is you know uh, 10% how much an agent takes uh, and it's just this Parisian talent agency and it's it's kind of like a it's like a extras curb your enthusiasm uh, kind of mashup sort of uh, with a lot of well I don't know who the fuck they are but French celebrities come on uh, make cameos and uh, yeah you yeah, know it's, it's like a, a good um good body uh, character drama with lots of comedy and enjoying it. Uh, besides that, uh, I'm, I'm a big consumer of YouTube channels. Uh, you know, not like PewDiePie and filthy Frank. I've never seen any of those at all, but like the, the nerdy learning stuff and, uh, uh, you know, the main ones, your V sauces, et cetera. But, uh, a uh, really good one. I've been kind of getting into uh, math and astrophysics of late and uh, really recommend PBS Space Time. Really good one by PBS Digital Studios. And a uh, really good math channel with really good visual explanations for high-minded math concepts called uh, uh, called Three Blue, One Brown, which does, does really good content as well. So, well, I'm Dracula's friend. I'm Frankenstein's I'm, monster. I'm Dracula. You're Dracula. You're, 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 I'm you're Rob Zombie's car. It's that time year when the ghouls fall in love and a Dracula <laughs> is your friend. Frankenstein's here. Were you and depressed and anhedonic this whole episode? Too. Because you were prepping this fucking song.
It's the most spooktacular time of the year. Lots of people with candy, and my name is Manny, and hello, how are you? Uh, that was less good. Uh, <laughs> jingle bells, there's a ghost. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's more like it. We're plaid go. lads. Plaid lads, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, plaid lads pod. My name's Dragula. Twitter at plaid lads pod. You can find us in all of your podcast sources on Apple, iOS, and Android devices, all the places you get your podcasts. iTunes. Give us ratings on iTunes if you listen to us and enjoy. Follow us on Twitter. Frank's our, our, our Twitter's are, and he's, uh, he's just spamming you with fake news, so turn in, tune in for that. Yeah, I, I just started tweeting some bullshit recently because I thought it would be more fun. And it is more fun. I'm not on Twitter, so I don't see what's happening. Anyway, yeah. uh, follow Justin's band at uh, Welcome to Wonderfalls. Welcome to Wonderfalls.bandcamp.com. Welcome underscore to underscore Wonderfalls on Instagram. I'm uh, almost finished my album. It should be up by the time you hear this episode. It's a, it's, it's kind of a spooky album. There's a song about like a dead alien and there's a witch and there's some pumpkin pie talk. So get into it. Creature with the Adam brain. Do you do that one? Uh, yes. Excellent. Way to spoil it, Frank. I've got a band too. It's called Elbow Watch A. It's uh, elbowache.bandcamp.com. Uh, go check it out, maybe. Why don't you? All right. So I've been Dracula. I'm Justin. <laughs> I'm Frank. Me, I'm no longer unemployed. Yeah! Yay! Yay! All right. Glad, lads, everyone. Have a good week. Join us next week when we'll be talking about the 2014 film Clouds of Sils Maria by Olivier Assayas. I think that's how you say that. Mirror Traffic, the record by Stephen Malkmus and the Jicks, and Frasier's Season 1, Episode 6, The Crucible.